millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast. The world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast and to this, the third and final episode in our audio tour of HMS Victory. Episode one was on the decks below the waterline, the hold and the orlop deck. Episode two was on HMS Victory's three gun decks. And today, the final episode is on everything else. The bits exposed to the elements. The forecastle, weather deck, quarter deck, poop deck and rigging. If you haven't listened to those previous episodes, I'd urge you to do so first to get a little background on this magnificent mid-18th century first-rate ship of the line. After our tour, I was also lucky enough to be taken to see HMS Victory's visitor book, where dignitaries of the past have signed their names. It was quite a moment, as it came just days after the death of the Queen was announced, and we were able to look at the numerous occasions that she signed the book, both as a princess and as a queen. I'm joined on my tour by one of HMS Victory's excellent tour guides, Tony Noon, and also by Rosie Thornber, the Principal Heritage Advisor for HMS Victory. As ever, I hope you enjoy listening to them as much as I enjoyed talking with them. So join us on board. We've just walked up the gangway from Victory's upper gun deck into the light of the quarterdeck. Well, we'll start um, start with the with the cabins again. We're going back to the back to the stern of the ship. So on our left, we've got John Scott's sleeping cabin, so the secretary, and on our right, the smaller cabin is the sailing master. And then we walk into the three cabins that make up um, Captain Hardy's area. So similar to Nelson's, although a lot lot smaller. Um, and you can see again, all the side panels are hinged, so they all fold up out of the way. And you'll notice that with the windows in here are actually gun ports. We have the 12 pounders on this deck. They're at 90 degrees against the side of the ship. So once the ship is cleared for action, these guns are then just spun into position. I say just, they're one and three quarter tons each in their carriages on this deck. Um, and these are 12 pounders, so fire a 12 pound shot. But again, it looks nice. You've got the checkerboard floor, um, so it's posh for the officers for their entertaining and, and whining and dining. 
but it can all be stripped down and cleared down for battle. Yeah, and the, the key difference, I suppose, is from being inside, you can look out and you're looking onto the weather deck. You're, you're much more kind of part of, of what's going on with the sailing of the ship. Exactly, basically. yeah, that's why the ca captain is here. Um, if he's needed, he can be called straight out. He doesn't have to. Let's pretend we've been called out. There's a crisis on deck. <laughs> and you'll notice we have a lot of headroom. We can both just about stand up here. Um, whereas Hardy was six foot four. Well, so another tall one, isn't it? A ship full of monsters with him pretty, in the... Pretty much, yeah. and, and so the first thing you see when you come out here is this, this, the, the huge wheel. Yeah, so we have the ship's wheel. Uh, it looks like two stuck together um, with the ropes that go down that we saw in the steerage area below. These ropes go down all the way down to the lower gun deck where the tiller arm would be, um, which then obviously connects to the rudder. Um, between two and eight men, depending on weather conditions, battle conditions, Always one on each side, up to four on each side if it is bad weather. Um, in front of us we have the binnacle. Um, the binnacle, as you can see, it's got three glass windows and you've got two compasses in it and there's a lantern in the middle with a, a, a smokestack tube coming out as well. Um, it's just being repainted at the moment, but that's where the binnacle is. We have two compasses. If you had a single compass in the middle, because of the width of the wheel, the men, if you had just one compass, you'd be looking at it from two different angles. So by having a compass on each side of the binnacle, the men have their own compass to look at on each side of the wheel so they're getting a true reading. And um, let's walk out onto the deck now. As I said before, this is all, um, it's all covered over. We'll find out a bit more about the conservation. Now, the key thing here is that there are no masts. Well, there's a bit of a <laughs> foremast, so, uh, um, and there's a bit of a mizzen mast. But what we're missing is the, the, the kind of the sheer scale of the rigging. So tell us about the rigging of HMS Victory. Yeah, so obviously the masts are each made from three sections. Um, you have your lower, your top and your top gallant. Then you have your yards and you have your two types of rigging. You have your standing rigging, which is your thick black heavy tarred stuff. Those are the ones that support, those are your shrouds, that the triangular ropes that sort of come up um, to brace each mast up. And then your stays, which are the ones that run uh, running the center line of the ship uh, fore to aft to help brace the mast. And then you have your running rigging, which is obviously everything you need to sail the ship. So they're the ones to haul your sails, etc. About 26 miles or so of rigging to go miles. back on, miles of rigging yeah. um, to go back on to victory. Um, it will all go back, but obviously until the new support cradle underneath was finished, the masts were lowered because of the weight considerations. And now we have this structure over the top. So the main mast is out completely at the moment. Um, 23 tonnes of, of wrought iron. Um, the, the, the lower main mast section, that's just the lower part on its own. Um, and that's a hollow tube, but those date from 1894. Victory had timber masts originally. Well, let's walk up towards the bow. So we're walking down a narrow section on each side of the port and starboard side of the ship. These are called the waists. We've got the trestles uh, for the ship's boats in the middle. There'll be four ship's boats here. And they've got a white canvas. Now we've covered the ship with this white canvas around the trestles to help preserve the ship and stop water penetrating the ship lower down. So the white canvas in this whole middle section here wouldn't have been there. So onto the deck below, onto the upper gun deck, you have this large rectangular area which would have been completely open to the elements. So at Trafalgar though, obviously normally it's just rain and spray dropping in, but at Trafalgar it also meant that the grenades being thrown onto us from the radio tabla are also dropping onto the deck below because it's a large open space. Mm. Oh, we've got the um, funnel here from the stove down below. Yes. Yeah. 
It's very noisy. There's a lot. There's a lot of uh, stuff going on. That sounds to me like people building scaffolding yeah, rather than just, working on the ship. Yeah, we're just close to finishing the scaffolding now. They're just starting to put the gable ends on, um, so we can seal the whole middle section of the ship up completely to get a water water tight and bone dry as possible. So we're nearly there with it finished. Now there's a very noticeably different type of cannon here. What are we looking at? This is right up at the um, up at the bow. So here we have a carronade. Um, Victory actually picked her carronades up a month before Trafalgar when she came back to Portsmouth. They put two of the 12 pound guns, one and three quarter tons each, into the rowboats, rowed them from Spithead to Portsmouth, got rid of them, and put two of these two ton carronades and rowed them back to Portsmouth. What is a carronade? So a carronade, it looks like a very short stubby gun. Um, it's effectively very close range, high damage weapon. It fires a 68 pound solid round shot, so twice, you know, over twice the size of the 32 pounders. Has no real distance on range, it's just for getting in close, and they nickname them smashers because you find a sensitive or solid part of the enemy hull, you fire the 68 pound ball and it will go through, it will splinter it. And at Trafalgar, when they loaded it, they put the gunpowder charge in first, then a tub of 500 musket balls, wow. and then your 68 pound ball. Ooh, so if you're on the receiving end, first the 68 pound ball comes through, and if that doesn't get you and the splinters don't get you, there's 500 musket balls following through afterwards. Yeah, and uh, that was, again, a clear example of technological innovation where the British uh, were better than the French and the Spanish in terms of their guns, particularly in terms of the carronades. Yeah, carronades are new, and like I said, Victory only picked hers up. Um, you know, the month before Trafalgar. Um, they tried various experimentations on ships over the years with the Royal Navy. They tried equipping a ship out mainly with carronades. But the problem is, if you can get in close, you can do huge amounts of damage, but you have to get in close. So all the enemy has to do is pretty much sail in a circle around you out of range of the carronades. Mm. So the, the Navy soon learned that you need a balance between the two, um, the close-in smashes and the ranged standard guns that you see. Yeah. Um, and looking over the edge of the bows here, we're looking at the cat heads. Let's have a, get a closer look at these. So this is a, uh, a, an enormous timber which is sticking out at sort of 45 degrees from the ship's hull um, with three very clear uh, uh, shivs for a pulley um, on there. Tell us about these. So the cat heads work in conjunction with the fish hook which isn't on at the moment but that's another piece of, uh, of iron that sticks out of the side of the ship and these are used for helping to bring the anchors up. So once you've got the anchor to just below the level of the sea, uh, the sea level, the guys in a boat down there and they would re-hook the anchor from the anchor cable onto cables coming through this cat head here and that's used to pull it up against the side of the ship. And then about 20, 15 feet further along to our right would be a fish hook, which is a large iron hook, which sticks out at about a 60 degree angle out of the side of the ship. And that's the one you then pull the anchor up onto to then bring it up and hoist it onto the side of the ship. And as I said, with seven anchors, and we can actually see some of the anchors just at the front of the <laughs> ship you, on the dock side. Can you describe how big those anchors are? Um, I, I don't, they're just the most enormous things. Yeah, they're, they're from the dock level, they're coming up to the, the level of the heads of the toilets of the men. Um, and they're at sort of a 45 degree angle leaning against the side. Uh, I, yeah, it's, it's four and a half tons. I, I, I couldn't even try and give you a height estimate on that. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. So six feet, eight, um, I think they're probably 20 feet something like that at the angle they're at yeah yeah so yeah, enormous things absolutely enormous it makes me wonder how you get the angle to pull them up so there has to be a rope that's coming from the end of this cat head going upwards 
Uh, yes, yeah. So again, you're, you're rigging everything. You know, the yard arms on the chips are incredibly important because you use those for effectively forming cranes, etc. Oh, I see. So you swing around the, so, the, the lowest yard of the foremast. Yeah, and you can then swing it again onto the cat, uh, the fish hook, and again. But it's it's all backbreaking work, and it's all by hand. It's not you know like the new carriers. You press a button and it, and it comes up <laughs> or, for or you, or it doesn't because it's broken. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no comment on that one. <laughs> Um, right, let's walk uh, back down aft and um, see if we can find the spot where Nelson died. Uh, we'll, 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 oh, not this, died, I suppose. Uh, shots, shots, yeah. I mean. uh, the bell we're passing in the, in the belfry here isn't Victory's original bell. Okay. Um, Victory's original bell was lost at Trafalgar. That bell is actually from a ship called HMS Africa um, at Trafalgar, which is the, commanded by Captain Henry Digby. Um, she's the ship that found herself completely out of position at the start of the battle. So instead of being in one of the two lines attacking, she was all on her own, pretty much at the top end of the French and Spanish line. So Nelson signalled for her to come back round to rejoin the line, um, which would have taken hours and hours sailing against the wind. So Captain Henry Digby decided, rather than sail round, he would sail straight down the line of French and Spanish ships, swapping broadsides with them all oh, until bit. he could rejoin the line. So that's why we have Africa's bell on here and not Victory's. Yeah. Okay, um, so here we are standing uh, on a very well-polished plaque that says, Here Nelson fell, 21st of October 1805. So it's immediately at the top of the stairs. When you first step out onto the quarterdeck on the visitor route, you see this plaque down here to your left. The quarterdeck is where you command the ship from in battle. Nelson and Hardy are just pacing back and forth along this deck while the battle is going on around them. Um, and we end up finding ourselves directly alongside the radio table on our starboard side. From up in the rigging, roughly about 45 feet up or so, um, marksman shoots down and must, Nelson had just turned, was just starting to walk towards the aft of the ship, towards the ship's wheel. And the musket ball came through his shoulder, through his lung, snapped his spine and lodged in the, mus lodged in the muscle at the back. Um, French say it was a sharpshooter, we say it's a lucky shot. Um, mm. But like I said, because this is where you command the ship from in battle, we're concentrating our fire onto their quarterdeck and they're concentrating their fire onto our, you know, vice versa sort of thing. You're aiming for the, the soft targets effectively of the senior officer ranks. So, lucky shot or sharpshooter, they're not sharpshooters as we know on ships really at that time, so I, I go with lucky shot. Yeah. And so then he was carried down below from here? Yes, so a couple, uh, one of the Marines, a couple of the sailors took him down, they placed a handkerchief over his head, uh, over his face, just so that the sailors wouldn't know who it was being taken down, so they wouldn't be demoralised although he's in his undress uniform. One wonders how much that works. Yeah, lots of gold braid, the medals, um, you know, the sewn in in gold and silver thread, so it would have been a bit difficult to, to hide it actually with, the, with a napkin or a, a you know, a mm, sure. tissue. Uh -huh. um, just who exactly was going down, the stages would have known. Yeah. And then he was taken down all the way down to um, the back, surgeons. Yeah, back down to the surgeons and the all-op deck there. The surgeon came to look at him. Um, he said he, you know, he knew his back was shot through and the surgeon realised there was nothing they could do and they just tried to make him as comfortable as possible for him. Um, the Reverend Scott was there with him, the purser was there with him. Um, they fanned him, they gave him sips of lemonade and wine and water, but it's just over three hours. Um, no pain relief, really, um, until he actually died. But he did live long enough to find out the battle had been won. Hardy came to see him. My lord, you know, we've captured X many ships. Nelson was disappointed. Um, I think he said it was 17. Nelson was disappointed because he wanted to capture 50, uh, 20 ships. Mm. Um, so it's the important thing to note, although, so Nelson died about half four. The last shots of the battle were fired about quarter to five or so. Although the battle itself was four and a half hours, you've got another two and a half weeks of stuff that goes on. 
um, and some of the ships that were involved at Trafalgar, including the Dugay Troyne, that was actually captured on the 3rd of November. So although it escaped the battle, it was recaptured. So all, you got the large storm for two or three days after the battle and all these skirmishes and things that happened. So actually, you can sort of consider the, the extra two and a half, three weeks up until the 3rd of November to actually be included as part of the Battle of Trafalgar. Yeah. Um, it's not just that four and a half hour intense, yeah. you know, burst. So we're looking astern here, we're looking at the wheel and um, some splendid fire buckets. Yes, so fire buckets, GR on them for George Rex. Obviously at the time of victory, it's George III. So fire buckets, some would have water in, some would have sand. So water used for firefighting, keeping the guns cool and sand for spillages. We mentioned John Scott earlier, pretty much in the same spot where Nelson was shot, where we're standing now. Slightly before that, John Scott was hit by a round shot and it popped him into two halves. Um, and unfortunately that tends to leave quite a lot of mess. Uh, this, because he's in the way, he's in the command area, the two halves were picked up and they threw the halves over the side. Um, and it leaves a lot of spillage on the decks. So the sand you used to put down onto the decks to absorb some of that. And if you go and see the uniform Nelson was wearing, which is up at Greenwich Maritime Museum, you'll see the silk stockings he was wearing as well at that time. And those silk stockings, the blood stains on those is actually that of John Scott. It's not of Nelson's, it's not Nelson's blood, it's actually of his aid. Interesting. Let's walk up onto the, onto the poop deck. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So because of the scaffolding construction at the moment, the poop deck's actually out of bounds for the public. 
Um, as you can see, you're having to duck to, to avoid this scaffolding and it's going to be sealed in soon as well. So this is probably one of the last chances for the next four or five years you'll be able to get up this high. Lucky me, God, I need to be nearly 50 by the time it's uh, by the time it's exposed again. I have to make sure that it's all done by then, please. Uh, yes, we'll try our best. Um, so poop deck, uh, poop from the Latin word poopis, stern of the ship, nothing in, uh, uh, else from that, although the kids love it. Um, it's also the signalling area, you'd have your halyards going up for the signal flags to go on from here and at the very stern of the ship here um, against the taffrail you can also see we've got lockers here for the flag lockers so it's from here that Pasco takes his flags to make the signal England expects well, obviously we all know it was the original message was going to be England confides um, every man will do his duty Pasco doesn't have confides in his dictionary so it'd take eight flags to spell it um, so instead he says I've got confides uh, expects in the dictionary so instead of England confides that's where we get the message England expects just to say flags the two very distinctive lanterns on the stern here and um, they're quite striking to me because I, I was in Venice the day before yesterday um, at the Naval Museum um, where they have the stern of a Venetian galley from uh, the 16th century and it's remarkably similar the shape of the lanterns yeah and these also rather than the tallow candles these ones burn whale oil because they're also your signaling uh, lanterns for at night so if you're sailing in a line of battle you need to signal the fleet so they burn a lot brighter using the whale oil um, so you actually have three there's only two in place at the moment but there should be a third as well and then we have the, the flagstaff again which is out at the moment but the flag would normally be flying off the flagstaff here um, that's another thing under restoration yeah i mean it's extraordinary seeing so much um well having so much space above your head where usually the uh need to think of these weather decks as being completely three-dimensional and you're being um there's just so much above you and it's it's extraordinary having this space here isn't it it, it is yes um we would normally have the the uh, the boom would come out above us here for your sail at the back um plus the yards and we also some of the rigging would come up around the sides to enclose us a bit but right at this back back at the stern here it is quite open and quite yeah. It's, I don't know, it's strangely invigorating just to just, just to stand up here. It is. No, and you it's, can it's see nice. the ships sailing past. I mean, these ships all have have lives of their own, and um, Victory is going through a really important part of hers. I tell you what, let's go and find out from Rosie what the um, the conservation project is. Uh, so, Rosie, here we are on deck, and um, there is a roof. Tell me, why is it important that the ship is protected from the elements while this is all, all this work is being un undergone? Um, well, basically, as part of this phase of work, um, we're taking off external planking, and so we might be uh, making internal pieces of the ship vulnerable to the elements. So this scaffolding is really a very good protection um, to uh, ensure that those pieces of the ship remain dry and as unaffected as possible. Um, and in terms of the mast, so we talked earlier um, when we were on the gun decks about removing the, the, um, the main mast, but we've got the lower uh, mast of the mizzen mast and the lower mast of the foremast are still here and of course the bowsprit. Are they staying? They will be coming out. Um, over the next sort of phase or so uh, we took out the main mast for its condition but also to make sure we could get the roof on over the scaffold for this area uh, but sure enough the condition of the foremast and mizzen mast are found to be equally a little bit precarious so so yes they will be coming out in order to so, 
for conservation works to proceed. Yeah, I think pulling that bowsprit out is going to be quite difficult. How is that going to happen? That's a good question. Um, a lot of planning. Um, it's sort of attached, as far as I understand it, to the foremast in some way. Is it? I think it's supported by it. So um, if the foremast comes out, the bowsprit has to come out. Um, but we have photos of it coming out in the 1980s. Right. So it has been done. <laughs> yeah. So there must be a way, a method of doing it. Yeah, I wonder if they left any notes. Um, yeah. And so tell us more about this project. How long is it going to last um, and, and what's it going to involve? So um, we're planning that this particular phase is a four-year phase and it will involve removing, as I say, external planking from both the starboard side where we are and the port side opposite. Yeah. So this is this bit's four to five years. Once that planking's removed, what happens? You're replacing it with, are you, are you conserving the original planking and put it back or are you replacing the planking? We are replacing the planking, I'm, I forgot to say, because uh, a lot of the planking is from the 1970s to 1990s and it's made up of layers of different woods, for example, teak and Iroko. Now we want to use uh, oak because Victory was made of oak originally. We can't get massive bits of oak for each plank now, so we will make it in sections glued together as a laminate. Uh, so yes, we'll be replacing the, the planks with new oak planks made up of layers. And we are trying, attempting to correct the, the fair lines of the ship. So the, um, the ship has sort of hogged or, or sunk to either end while it's been in the dock from 1922. Um, so the replacement planking from the late 20th century followed the lines of the the dipped shape. Yeah, yeah. So now we're going to try and replace with new planking aligned as it would have been, yeah. as Victory should have been, yeah. basically at the time. Wow. So yeah. well, it's a fantastic project. How, how, I mean, you talked. You said that this phase is four years long. What's the What's the entire project going to be? It It should be roughly about ten to twelve years. There may be some elongated bits but we're aiming for that 10 to 12 years yeah. God, well, yeah hopefully i'm still around but i can't wait to come back and see what it's like well best of luck to you and i think it's fantastic and re even though the um the, the rigging is down it makes it particularly unique and interesting to come and visit victory while it's in this state and while this very important work is is um being undertaken yeah thanks very much <laughs> So I've come now to what was the officer's wardroom, uh, but is now the chief's mess. And I'm here with Simon, who has got something rather special that he's going to show me. What are we looking at here? So we're looking at the visitor books um, for HMS Victory. So every time somebody comes on board for a dinner or a, a visit, um, particularly VIPs, um, they sign the Victory's visitor book. Um, and we have... The first one we have here is from 2005 on uh, the 21st of October, so the 200th anniversary of the Battle of Trafalgar. And that's when the Queen um, dined on board, Queen Elizabeth. 
So we're looking at a double spread here. It says, dinner in the Great Cabin on the 21st of October 2005, attended by Her Majesty the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh to commemorate the 200th anniversary of the Battle of Trafalgar. And then um, we have Elizabeth's splendid signature. I'm a huge fan of Elizabeth's signature. Um, looking very majestic there on the left-hand page and Philip's. Um, also quite stylish, not a scrawl, but it's also quite stylish, very good with his P's on the right-hand side. Now, these Vista books are magnificent. How far back do they go? Um, as far as I'm aware, they go back to about 1922 when the ship was first put into dry dock. Um, just check on this one, actually. So the one I have in front of me goes, yep, goes back to... This one goes back to 1923, this one. So it's right from when the ship was first put into the dry dock. Wow, fantastic. I'd love to have a really good look through here, but you've gone through and you've picked out some choice visitors. So we have um, 26th of July, 1938. Yeah. Um, we have the Queen Mother, or Queen Elizabeth as she was at the time, yeah. and then Princess Elizabeth and Princess Margaret. Ah, so she comes with the daughters, yes. takes them on a trip down to Portsmouth. So um, that's also interesting in that uh, Elizabeth's... So that's the Queen Mum. Yes. And uh, Elizabeth's signature becomes remarkably like her mother's signature when she becomes queen. They are very, very similar. Yes, yeah. I noticed that the other day. Uh, they were very, very similar. The, um, the, the, the Z is, uh, it changes, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, extraordinary. And, um, and Margaret, who has got very similar handwriting, and it makes me suspect they have the same handwriting tutors. Sure I think that's what's going on. 1938, that's lovely to see. Um, July the 26th, does it say why they were here? Well, we're, we're not 100%, I'm not 100% certain, but I think it might have been um, around the time that the Victory Gallery was opened. Um, yeah. So they were either there when it was opened or they visited very soon after. Mm, interesting. I, I tell you what, I reckon there's a chance that some relatives of my good self are in this book. I'll have to have a hunt through that later. So what are we going to look at next? So we also have, of course... Um, you should be able to find Winston Churchill. Oh, Winston uh, Churchill. There he is. There he is. Winston Churchill, so January 1941. Yes. Uh, Winston Churchill, and he's um, put his job or reason Prime Minister, yes. <laughs> which is good. That must be very satisfying. Um, oh, some more royals. Here we are. Um, so December of that year, 41. Uh, we've got Elizabeth again, and who that is? It's King George, I would assume. King George in 1941. Oh, in 44, he's come back again. Yes. Here. In 44. Trying to find it a bit earlier. I should have marked these. That's all right. It's part of the joy is in, of these wonderful things is, is A, looking at everyone's handwriting, they're deciphering it and they're going, ah. We have Anthony Eden. Anthony Eden. Should be here somewhere. Yeah, let's see if we can spot him. Uh, there he is. There he is. So, I reckon they taught people how to do E's differently back yes. in the day. His, his E is almost identical to Queen Elizabeth's. Yes. And he's Foreign, Office, Foreign Office London. That's my address. Very sensible. Here we have got a... Uh, um, U.S. Naval Forces in Europe, Barry Bingham. Um, it's almost as interesting, rather than their places, to see where they've come from, what they're doing. It is rather difficult to read some of the signatures. But, um, 
It's ironic, isn't it? You'd think that actually if people wanted to leave their name, they'd, um, yes. they'd make it legible. Yes. Maybe they'd had several ports before they signed it. Well, the Crown Prince of Norway. If Crown <laughs> Prince of Norway. Yeah, so he's in here. That was in 19, 5th of August 1943. Hmm. Interesting that they're still coming here um, during the war. Yes. Yes. And I often find this where you find evidence of life going on more or less as normal. And uh, during the war, it's quite surprising, particularly during the First World War. Uh, but here we've got um, still plenty of visits. I wonder if there was, if it was on business or pleasure. Hopefully, a bit of both. Yeah. And so this is a, a bit more of a presentation so copy. The, this yeah, is the first one we were looking at, which has kind of calligraphy writing in the centre, and then you are invited to sign the title. So this is usually used by um, naval officers, senior naval officers um, ah. that come to the ship. Um, so the supersession of. of the first and second sea lords. Yeah. Um, He's got a wonderful signature, whoever that is. That's my favourite signature. That's beautiful. Who is that? Colonel. Oh, he's Russian. Ukraine. Oh, oh Ukrainian. On yes. the occasion of Colonel General Alexander Ivanisevich Zatinyko, uh, first Deputy Defence Minister and Chief of the General Staff Ukraine, 1997. Supersession ceremony of the second Sea Lord and Commander in Chief, Naval Home Command, Friday, September 1997. Uh, we're back to His Royal Highness the Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, that's May 97 as well. Um, Princess Royal. Mm, the Princess Royal signed there, a very, a very smooth Anne. I just wanted to have a look at the next one, the next page there. And we've got. On the occasion of the visit of Admiral Zhang Lingzhong, Commander of the People's Liberation Army and Navy, <laughs> July 1996, with a immensely complicated yes. uh, Chinese signature. <laughs> oh, here we are. Dinner for His Majesty the King of Sweden, 1995. This is fantastic. You should get this scanned. Commander of the UAE Navy, United Arab Emirates Navy, 1995. And some lovely Arabic script at the bottom of that one as well. And Charles, here we go. On the occasion of the visit of His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, on 10th of March, 1995. Um, now the King. Uh, Prince Michael of Kent. Crown Prince of Tonga. That is interesting. Uh, various Lord Mayors, um, left-hand commanders. Uh, this is where they relinquished their command. So here, David Harris um, uh, has stood down and signed. Lord Mayor of Portsmouth. Oh, it's a, the, the good and the great of the world. Have you sneaked your signature in this yet? Unfortunately Simon? not. I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think they'll let me. I'd love to, well, but I don't think they'd let me. Allowed. Just do yes. it. Do it. <laughs> Give yourself a page. Yeah, I would love to. But, um, um, and then the, the further back we go through the um, through the signature book, they they just have signatures. So you don't have the. This is just one of Anne there. It doesn't say who it was or why it was or or when it was. Um, so you just have um, a series of fairly random signatures. Well, actually, there's a chief of naval staff of the Spanish Navy there as well. So much history gone on in these walls. And you realise how, uh, how what a significant location it's been for um, 
entertaining diplomacy, whatever it might have been over the last over the last quarter of a century or more. We're back to, to the eighties now, so forty forty years at least. Sandy Woodward. Yeah, change of command. Change of command. Admiral Sir Peter Stanford. Uh, so that's eighty seven. Change of command ceremony, the commander in chief of Naval Home Command. And Anne. Anne's been here several times. As is yes. Margaret. Yes. They have. Lunch and visit. Oh, I want to know what they ate. Yes. I want to know more about it, don't you? No, it's 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 quite annoying. It's a it's a, a peek into into a moment of history, but it just does need a, a bit more detail. And the Duke and the Duchess of York in nineteen eighty six. There we are. And we just we got to the beginning here. It says this book for the signatures of distinguished visitors to HMO's victory was presented by Lieutenant Commander C.P. Abbas, MBE Royal Navy. Well, it was a good idea. Uh, well done, sir. Commanding officer, 6th of January 1982 to the 7th of January 1986. Who's our commanding officer at the minute? Um, B.J. Smith. Lieutenant Commander B.J. Smith. Good. Well, what a wonderful thing. Thank you very much indeed for showing. You're welcome. Thank you all so much for listening. Now, please do make sure that you go and check out the Mariner's Mirror podcast's brilliant YouTube channel, where you'll see some truly fantastic videos that showcase maritime history in a way you've never seen before. Most recently, we have a video of an interview from the Lloyd's Register Foundation archives, where we discussed the mysterious case of the SS Waratah, the ship that disappeared a ship that totally vanished in the early years of the 20th century. It's a remarkable story, and you can see some of the documentary material that survives relating to her. Ship plans, equipment surveys, as well as reports into her loss. You'll also find the remarkable, innovative videos we've created, including some of the world's most precious ship models filmed with the very latest camera technology. The results are quite mind-blowing. This podcast comes from both the Society for Nautical Research and the Lloyd's Register Foundation, so please do check out both of those institutions, the Society for Nautical Research at snr.org.uk and the History and Education Centre of the Lloyd's Register Foundation at hec.lrfoundation.org.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.